0: Welcome to an honest heart-to-heart and transparent conversation about all things mental health. Love it or risk it. Navigating with you in this crazy thing we call life is yours truly, Christine. Every episode, I want to make us comfortable with the uncomfortable and give voice to the unspoken struggles or outspoken ones. Let's break the stigmas and stereotypes of the day-to-day mental health and live a liberating life. So, whether you love it or this topic makes you squirm, all are welcome. I'm giving you fair warning, so if you're heading out, hopefully I'll see you soon. But if you're still there, relax, take a seat, grab your choice of liquid therapy, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Love It or Risk It. Today, on this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about church trauma and spiritual abuse. It was about a year or so ago that I had made a post on social media concerning an experience that exposed a situation that was hurtful and uncomfortable, and the response that I got from so many people, both commenting on the video and a lot of private messages on people saying, me too, and I've experienced this too, and thank you for speaking up. And it really just brought to my attention that this very uncomfortable topic and sometimes taboo topic is something that many people share. And so I thought I would put together some instances of what church trauma and spiritual abuse is and hopefully help people realize that they are not alone. So what is spiritual abuse? Spiritual abuse is the maltreatment of someone on behalf of someone else that is in a position of spiritual authority. Examples of this, control, exploitation, conformity, abuse of scripture, and misuse of scripture. It could be sexual abuse, manipulation. There is so many different forms of spiritual abuse. The consequences of spiritual abuse is that it can take a toll on a person's view of God and his character. When the church misrepresents God by being hurtful, people start to believe this is how God would treat them. And oftentimes it really takes a really bad, hard toll on someone and their faith. I've heard people say, well, if your faith was strong enough, it wouldn't take a toll. But You have to remember that the church is supposed to represent the character of God. And oftentimes when that falls short, people, whether new in the faith or whether it's a seasoned person in the faith, it really doesn't matter. It can still take a toll because then it makes you question God's goodness and I've heard so many people try to defend this and say, well, then that person should be more versed in the scriptures. That person should have better faith. But what we fail to remember is that person is trying to go to church to connect with God. And unfortunately, all of us human beings that are imperfect can misrepresent him and become more hurtful to our relationship with God. Spiritual bypassing. What is that? I'll give you an example. An example of this, I had spoke about in a previous episode on pregnancy loss. It was about a comment that was made to me because of the discomfort of my grief and that my pregnancy loss that God works things out for the good. Now, I understand if that's a scripture that helps motivate and empower you in a time where maybe you're going through a hard time. However, it's not the same when someone else tells you something because they really just don't know how to handle the emotion behind the situation. So they slap a scripture on it to make it a little more comfortable and they bypass the fact that there's an emotion behind it, such as grief, or it could be anger, could be loss, it could be hurt. It's when someone tries to use spirituality to avoid facing unresolved issues that may be uncomfortable. A common example of spiritual bypassing I've heard on church platforms and on social media is that people make excuses not to attend church, such as being hurt by the church. And um, I've also heard on the church platform, hey, you'll go to Walmart but you won't go to church? You'll go to Walmart and stand in line and there's hypocrites and hurtful people there, but you won't go to church? Well, first of all, comparing a place that's supposed to facilitate healing to Walmart is disgusting. There's a vast difference between Walmart and the church. And if you don't think so, that's part of the problem. Bypassing one's hurtful experience in the church and slapping a label saying that that's just an excuse is spiritual bypassing. And we have to be careful with that because it's not an excuse. It's not something that we should take lightly. Church hurt is a real thing. Another form of spiritual abuse is through sexual abuse. When a person of power uses that role to gain the vulnerability, trust of someone to manipulate them into a sexual relationship, whether it's consensual or not. Another issue within the church is legalism. This is something that's really a common thing within the church. Legalism is a trait that can be found in spiritual abusers, and the Pharisees demonstrated it and John 8, 4 through 5. They wanted the Samaritan woman at the well to be stoned, and Jesus demonstrated grace and love, and that there's no hierarchy of sin. When he said in verse 7, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, no one would throw the stone, and often the church will scrutinize a person who has a blatant difference in lifestyle but will turn a blind eye to those subtle sins such as gossip, lying, and slander. This is a prime example of legalism. In verse 10 in the New Living Translation, Jesus said, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them accuse you? No, Lord, she said. Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine if we were to treat people who we felt were sinners based on what they appear to be? Whether it's a prostitute, whether it's someone who comes in smelling of alcohol or drugs. Wouldn't it be something if we were to take Jesus' approach and instead of being legalistic and looking at them sideways to show them grace Not anyone is perfect at this, and I get that. But if Jesus handled the woman as the Pharisees did with a legalistic attitude, condemning and shaming her instead of showing grace, she would have walked away wounded and a victim of spiritual abuse as many people have done so. And it's really sad the amount of people that say, I will never step foot back into a church ever again because of the hurt and pain that I've experienced. And then it really makes me think. Oftentimes legalistic people who are judgmental and treat other people that come into the church differently, they feel as though their pharisaical perspective and behavior is really what's going to help someone make it to heaven. And I just think that that is is such a conundrum because it's quite the opposite, actually. I feel like if you are causing someone to have such a negative taste in their mouth, to not step foot inside a church again, how much more negative is that person going to feel toward anything to do with God? And I think that this is something that believers, myself included, should really take a really deep, in-depth look at and examine the way that we treat people that we feel may not align with our morals or lifestyle. And just remember that, like how Jesus demonstrated with the woman at the well, there is no hierarchy of sin. And what that means is, one sin is not greater than the other sin. If you're someone in the church who has gossiped, which is another form of church hurt, And abuse, by the way, having people in your church as leaders that like to gossip on prayer day or a woman's day at the restaurant, this is abuse. And this is just as sinful as anyone coming inside of the church that may be different from what you believe a holy lifestyle would look like. It's the same thing. It's just as sinful. Narcissism. A narcissistic person who has an excessive interest or admiration within themselves is a narcissist, and oftentimes, narcissism is found in so many churches, especially with leadership. Traits can include valuing their own views and lacking the interest in another's devaluing someone for calling them out on an inappropriate behavior and being prideful. And this is something that is becoming more and more common in the church is narcissistic leadership. And I think the intention may be good initially because I know it's not an easy thing to be a pastor or a leader in a church. I know there's a lot to take on with that. Um, However, eventually, a lot of times, whether it's fame, attention, people idolizing the pastor or looking up to them like a God can get to their head, and then they forget that they're really there to be shepherding, not to be dictating, not to be calling people down shaming people, or mistreating people, or treating someone like they're less than. Being a shepherd is really what it's all about, and that is the take that Jesus made when he walked around spreading the good news. Um, there was something I thought of on the note of legalism, and I failed to mention it, but Something that I've seen that's common when it comes to being legalistic in the church is condemning someone for not getting their healing. How many times have you heard someone say, the reason why that you weren't healed is because of your lack of faith? Well, when someone says that you're lacking faith, but you're coming to them for prayer, for healing, that is a demonstration of faith. That's an indication that there was a measure of faith there. And so it's really not helpful to tell people that the reason why that they have not been healed of their sickness or disease is because they lack the faith. That is not always the case. And honestly, I really just feel that that's inappropriate to tell someone. That's really not benefiting anyone. To tell someone that, what good do you think is going to come from saying, you haven't gotten your healing because maybe you're just not keeping the faith or maybe you just don't have the faith. How does that help facilitate healing? How does that aid in emotional healing? I just don't see that there's any benefit to that. Another common thing that's in the church is ostracizing or shunning single divorced women. Because divorce is frowned upon in the church, often people frequently divorced, a lot of times women, are avoided or not included in church ministry due to this status. If we're to mirror Jesus in the church, we are to love and accept those considered or viewed as outcasts. We can go back to the scriptures that I talked about earlier with the woman at the well. In John 4, 7 through 25, and she was considered a societal outcast. She was oppressed by many things, such as being a woman, being a Samaritan, and being an adulteress at that time. What would happen if that Samaritan woman walked into your church today and everyone knew of her previous five husbands? Would you look at her like she were a disease or an outcast? Would you start gossiping of the fact that she had been married so many times? Or would you love and accept her so that she can see that Jesus is actually a real thing through the love that you show her? And I just feel like you know, this this story of the woman at the well is so special and so relevant because what happened when Jesus did not accuse her or shame her, he did in fact tell her, hey, I know because she said, I'm not married. And he said, I know, for you've been married five times. At that point, she became a believer because he called her out on her stuff but he didn't do so in a shameful way. He was spitting facts to her. And at that point, she decided that, hey, I believe that you're the prophet. And then she went around and spread the news to everyone around. And how awesome would that be if that Samaritan woman or a woman that were from the LGBTQ community or a person that smelled of alcohol or a person that just didn't agree with possibly what it is that you agreed with walked into the church and just felt loved and accepted. I feel like it's not our job to make someone feel unwelcome, to ostracize women or people that have been divorced or single women who haven't had the blessing of being in a marriage. To treat them like they are, and that's a human being who should be loved and accepted. I feel like the church has missed the boat on this one. And to be honest with you, it's really not a frequent thing to hear someone say, Hey, I'm outside of what the church would consider the norm, and I was treated so well when I walked in church today, and I want to return next week because the people there loved me so well. They didn't even stare or make me feel like an outcast. How would it feel if we were to embrace those single divorced women and show them the love of God that they may never have experienced in their life? You don't know their story, so it isn't your job to judge or make them feel like an outcast. Or women who have been divorced and you don't want to include them in your ministry because they're not married and it's not a good look to you. I just think that this is really distasteful and it's very hurtful and I think it's something that can be considered. Favoritism. Do we even realize that favoritism is a sin? James 2, 8-9, through 9, the New International Version says, Love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Showing discrimination is sin, and favoritism is part of that. Favoring groups of people to do ministry without giving opportunity to other people that are called and willing to do ministry is showing favoritism and I believe that God does not take that lightly. There is many people that are capable of using their giftings in the church. And I feel like, like the scriptures talk about, I believe it's in James also about the hand and the feet and how we are all, all parts of the body and one part is not above the rest. But when you're showing favoritism, you're actually making one out to be better than the other. And that can facilitate insecurity, that can make someone feel like an invalid, it can make someone feel anxiety, and quite frankly, it makes someone feel rejection. And so there's a reason why the scriptures talk about favoritism being a sin. Chauvinism. What that is, is male prejudice against women. An example of that is if you're a pastor and you have a couple working underneath you as your leaders in the church and you only choose to address the male part of that relationship or marriage and you disclude any woman from your staff meetings because they're a woman and you value a man's opinion, you value the contribution of the man, but the woman you have yet to address or even listen to, that is a form of chauvinism. And chauvinism is a part of favoritism. And as I just mentioned, favoritism is a sin. And so if you are a leader or a pastor and you are not equally showing the same rights and opportunity toward the woman, you are being a chauvinistic leader And this is not something that God or Jesus demonstrated in the word. Jesus loved women. He visited women. He was constantly allowing women to have an input. And I just feel that um, this is something that a lot of people don't consider. And it's definitely important to get a hold of chauvinistic attitudes toward your leadership. Another thing is abandoning members who leave the church. This shows a measure of pride on the leadership to excommunicate from someone because they left your church. And oftentimes it leaves a person feeling further hurt and often abandoned. I realize that there are some churches that are so large it seems impossible for you to call everyone that has left your church. However, I believe that it would be a wonderful idea to have a ministry that is positioned to being able to talk with those who have left, making sure that they're okay, or making sure that there's not a situation that maybe you could gap the bridge with. In Matthew 18, 12 through 14, It says in the NIV version, "What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, he will not leave the ninety-nine. Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing." That any one of these little ones should perish. Now, perish, what that means in this scripture is not a physical death, but perish, oftentimes mentioned in the scriptures, is a spiritual death. And when a shepherd, meaning the pastor in a church, does not care to recognize whether it's a staff member, whether it's a congregational member, if they do not care to try to, um, leave the 99 per, you know, sort of speak and, and go seek after the one that has left, or maybe it's more than one, it's usually more than one. Um, what happens? It says, you know, he wants, God wants to make sure that the one doesn't perish in this case. You know, oftentimes hurt does lead, uh, lead to spiritual death, and I think that there's a correlation here. God's character is is that none of his children are lost and should perish a spiritual death. So, I was thinking about this and as a counselor in training, there is a code of ethics that I'm having to learn. And an important part of this code is not to abandon my clients. Now there's a reason for this ethical code and that ethical code is in place because what happens if I have a client that I'm counseling and I just either fall off the face of the earth or something happens where I don't try to continue my services toward them? Well, that causes further damage and abandonment with them. And you may be saying, well, that person left the church, so it's not the same as you abandoning a client. The pastor didn't uh, abandon that person. Well, there is a form of abandonment. How do you know why that person left the church? Maybe that person left the church because they had a death in the family. Maybe that person left the church because... They felt uncomfortable or a situation happened that could very well be mended if a leadership cared to even find out why that person left the church. So we can't be assumptive as to why one leaves the church. I do know oftentimes it's from being hurt, but how much better would that relationship with God be for that person that left the church if they left because they were hurt? if a pastor or a leader reached out and said, "Hey, we missed you this Sunday. We love you. Is everything okay?" Wouldn't that be something? Lack of a humility to apologize for doing wrong. Hebrews 12:14 in the NIV version says, "Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness no one will see the Lord." See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now that second part that says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Wow. When I read this scripture, I was thinking about it and I'm thinking, hmm. The grace, when you show someone grace, that really causes you to facilitate within them a form of healing. Especially if there's a situation that really caused a gap in your relationship with someone such as a pastor or a leader in the church. If they are not able to apologize, this shows a sense of pride. This shows that They are right fighters and do not have the humility that Jesus often demonstrated in his walk with people, humility and humbleness. And it shows a lack of that. If a leader knows that he or she has hurt a member or staff of his church and does not make an effort to live in peace. Now, I'm not sitting here trying to point my finger being self-righteous, I as a human being have failed oftentimes. And I have also not always left things making peace with people. I am one where if I feel I've done something wrong, people that I may not even be in relationship any longer with, whether it's a friendship or a person that was an acquaintance, most people would probably tell you, I do apologize when I feel like I've done something wrong. And I feel like that's the least that you can do as a pastor or a leader when you are aware that you have hurt someone. It's one thing to not be aware. There's many times people are offended and hurt and you have no idea. You're not a psychic. You're not a mind reader. How would you know? But when you have been made aware that you've done something hurtful and you refuse to apologize, you're lacking the humility, you're lacking the maturity to make something right with someone by simply saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hurting you. That was never my intention. And in that last part of the scripture, so that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many, what that means is hurt people hurt. So if you cannot apologize to someone that you hurt that hurt continues and it causes a root in that person and then that root leaks on and defiles other people what a tragedy what a tragedy that if you're a leader and you have caused hurt in a person that root can then leak on to other people I don't even think that we understand the gravity of that scripture So I had a lot to say today. I had a lot to say in this episode concerning a lot of church trauma and spiritual abuse. So what is the good news with all of this? We said things that we need to work on and trust me, this is not everything. We would be here all day if we covered everything, but these are some common practices of church trauma and spiritual abuse. Um, that many people experience. Another one I didn't mention was, I I think I briefly mentioned in the beginning, but the misuse of scripture and manipulating people um, into thinking that a scripture verse is something that they need to hear that might cause shame. Misuse of scripture can cause a root of hurt also. But back to redemption and healing and what's the good news in all of this? The good news is that if you've been hurt by the church and you feel that you'll never step foot in a church again, let alone a healthy church, do know that you are not alone. I was once that person. I have been going to church my whole life with the exception of the gap that I needed to take in order to heal. So the good news is you do have hope. There is hope for you and there actually is healthy churches out there. And there will always be a toxic person in the church or people in the church. This is not to say that just because there's toxic situations, the whole church is toxic. No. But what this is saying is if your leaders look like any of what I said it's probably an indication that there's toxicity in that church and the church may be toxic. And like anything, there's always a bad apple in every bunch, but it starts with the head. It starts with the leaders. And leaders and pastors facilitate health in a church. And when pastors are unwilling to address hard topics such as this, church trauma and spiritual abuse, church hurt for some, that is an indication of something wrong. Because we should not conceal hurt and devastation among God's members. Jesus didn't handle it that way on this earth. He did not avoid hard subjects. He did not stand there as a gutless wonder allowing the Pharisees to abuse himself and other people. He was a God of justice. He spoke up for those who were considered the outcasts. He was there hanging with the ones that you would call the sinners. He was there healing the lepers, the people that no one wanted to even touch. Lepers back in biblical days had to yell, leper, leper, out loud in order for other people to know that they were coming because they were just outcast and oppressed with society. And I feel like if people came into the church and felt that they were loved and accepted, no matter how unclean that they've been treated like, they've been treated to be shamed and and to feel dirty and ugly and unclean. If we just loved people and just saw them as the human beings that Jesus actually saw them as, we would be representing Jesus a whole lot more accurately. And there would be so many people filling up the church because I feel like love is the biggest thing that's missing from society. I feel from my studies and research that hate, anger, abuse, rejection, all the things that fall under these categories have really caused a mental health and mental illness crisis. And I feel like if these people were loved, they wouldn't be in the state that they were in for the church to try to condemn and judge them. Wow. Think about that. I feel like people that are loved unconditionally, and I'm speaking to myself too, when people are loved where they're at unconditionally, it's really contagious. Just like the rotten root that defiles other people, love can also grow and be contagious in the opposite way. So for redemption and healing, the good news is you can take as much time as you need in order to heal. I've heard oftentimes by many people, especially leaders, condemning people for not attending the church. Saying there's no excuse for that. That's a bunch of crap. Oh, I've heard it. Trust me, I have. It's like, well, you know what? Church attendance is not my relationship with Christ. Sure, it can cause us to be more accountable. It can cause us to have fellowship if we're in a healthy church, right? Because if not, you might be treated and ostracized as someone who's a misfit in the church. So I think it's important to take as much time as you need to heal away from the church. And I can say for myself, that has been a huge facilitator for the fact that I went back to church, for the fact that I am close to God, that my relationship with God is really good. And it's not because of how many times I attend the church every week. It's because I took time away from the lies that I've been told in the church. I took time away from being shunned in the church or treated like I didn't fit when serving in ministry in the church, that I wasn't good enough, the talents weren't there enough. I took time to take all of those hurts and literally really seek out the character of who Jesus is in my personal walk. And he's none of those things that I've mentioned here that's contributed to church trauma and spiritual abuse. He's a kind, loving God. I'd recommend you starting to read in the book of Matthew and go on down to the New Testament and really learn the character of Jesus and what that looks like. And to be honest, it doesn't match any of this nonsense that I'm addressing with the church. Take that time away. Your salvation is not contingent upon your church attendance. And the other thing is, When you're exposed to toxicity, it may hinder your relationship with God. So why not take the time needed? And you may never sadly, I say sadly because it really is just unnecessary that people have been hurt so badly that they never want to step foot in a church. That's just so sad. And I've been there. So I definitely do not pass judgment upon those of you who have experienced that. But I do know this. Once you have the time away needed, it really does facilitate healing. And part of that is making a choice to forgive. Forgiveness is never a feeling. We never feel like forgiving anyone who's hurt us. But it is a choice. And to be honest, it's not a one and done choice either. It's something that you will need to probably redo Over and over and over again. Forgive 70 times 7. Yes. That means there may be something that triggers you or reminds you of the spiritual abuse that you've encountered. And then cause you to feel anger again. And that's okay. You can work through that. And a good therapist is something that I highly recommend. That is something that really helped also facilitate my healing toward the church. I received therapy from a Christian therapist, but she wasn't practicing Christian therapy, if that makes sense. She came in with an open mind and a non-judgmental approach and just really heard my pain and heard what it was that I was telling her. And I highly recommend that for you. If you've been one that has been hurt by the church, seek a really good therapist. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's another thing that I feel could be on another episode of Church Hurt is the fact that the church refuses to address mental health crisis oftentimes. Thankfully, the church that I'm going to does not avoid those topics. And I also think that what's helpful for the Redemption and healing of church hurt is also deconstructing the lies that you've been told and the things that may have been false that you've either been taught or told. For me, that's a deconstructing of faith to reconstruct it even stronger. And it doesn't look perfect, but I've had to evaluate some things and seek God in direction for myself by reading the word and really getting into it personally and getting to know God, like I mentioned earlier, a little better than even when I attended the church. I know it sounds opposite of what you're going to probably be told or hear from pastors and leaders. Don't stop going to church. Well, I tell you, if I hadn't stopped going to the place that caused the wound How would I ever be able to have that hurt scab over and just become a scar and a faint indication of the hurt? I can stand here telling you right now all of these things without any physical indication of hurt. My heart's not palpitating. I'm not sweating in my palms. My leg isn't shaking. And this is because I have chosen to forgive and I've taken the time away to heal You cannot heal when you return to a toxic situation that is further causing more pain, further causing more damage. You would never tell someone who's in an abusive relationship, go back to your abuser, but then see about healing. Doesn't make sense. And if the abuser has been the church in this case, for relevance of this topic, then The logical and practical thing to do is to take time to heal away. But in that time, time does not heal all wounds. It's what you do in that time when you take the time and you make the decision at some point to forgive and you make the decision to move forward and get direction toward a healthy church that will make you feel loved, that will make you feel included, that will make you feel seen, that will make you feel heard, that will allow you to use your gifts and your calling without showing favoritism toward a small group of people. It will be a church that when you walk in, you're not on edge. You can take a deep breath and just feel at home there's so many logos that are popular out there, welcome home to church. But what's funny about that is the logo is cute. But if you are not made to feel welcome, or if whomever is greeting you is putting up a fake smile and it doesn't feel authentic, it just feels like a job or something they have to do to tell you, welcome home, then that's not the right place. I'm sorry. That's not the right place. So, a healthy church is going to look like home. It's not just going to say that, it's going to look and exemplify what home looks like, and it should be a safe haven. And so, I hope that this episode resonates with you. The intention of this episode is definitely not to blast the church, it's not to throw any one church under the bus. This episode, the intention of this was to raise awareness to those of you who are in leadership and any of this sounds familiar. I really hope and pray that there's conviction there toward things that need to change. And also, mainly, my objective with this episode is for those of you who have experienced all of this that I'm talking about or some of it or any of it that you realize that you are not alone, that you matter, that God loves you unconditionally, no matter where you are. And please do not allow your negative experience of the church for you to see Jesus and God's character as that, because it's not. I promise you, my friend. So thank you for listening to another episode of Mental Health, Love It or Risk It. I hope you take care and I hope and pray that all is well.